I know some of y'all seen the title for what I have this morning, and it may not seem very much like a Christmas message, but I very much believe it is. Anytime you can talk about a blameless Savior in the season of His birth, I think that's as good a Christmas message as any. I'm going to read out of 1 Peter this morning, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. So as you find that in your paper Bible, if you want to read off the screen, but as you find that, if you would stand. Peter there says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we do have you to place our hope in. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son that made that way of reconciliation. Lord, this morning I pray simply that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst, that Lord, we could encounter you this morning. Lord, not so that we can feel good, not so that we can go out and say that we had church, but so that we can be changed and transformed, Lord, into that which you would have us to be. Lord, that our lives can be changed, that we can reflect more accurately the love and mercy and grace of Christ to those around us. Lord, just be in our midst and let what we do glorify and honor you today. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Now I have to go back before I really get into this text. Because you see, that starts out with that one of those connective words. It starts out with wherefore. So what Peter is telling us in all of that that I just read is we need to do this because of what he had already said previously. And what he had said previously should give you reason enough to shout and to worship. Because he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us into a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you understand? 
if we, I think if we got the full grasp of what Peter was even trying to say, even as he started his letter, I don't know that we could, within our own faculties, continue on because the, the presence of the Spirit should so overwhelm us understanding that he sent his only begotten Son out of abundant mercy because he didn't have to send his Son to us. He didn't have to make a way of reconciliation with us. We had already made our decision. Generations upon generations have made their decision that we are not going to follow Jesus Christ, that we are not going to follow the word of the Lord. His people in Israel did it time after time. He brought them even out of Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea and was bringing them through the wilderness and they seen the power and the miracles manifested of God and yet they were still stiff-necked and they still refused to be obedient. But God in His abundance of mercy and grace knew that even though that we are not going to always be obedient, that we are born into sin, that we have to have some way of reconciliation out of mercy and grace, He made that way His Son. And He came and He laid in a manger. But not just that, everything that we have on this earth is corruptible. It will fade away. Even the best made goods, even the best made anything will at some point fade away and no longer work because it will just simply wear out. It has to be repaired. It has to have upkeep on it. But what he's saying is that what God has sent us, the way of reconciliation that he has made for us, it is uncorruptible. It cannot ever wear out. It cannot ever fade away. And furthermore, it's undefiled. But it's not kept here on earth for us, but we've got a day coming that we will be in the very confines of heaven. That we will see all the splendors of the gates and the streets. And we will not even be concerned about it. We're not going to be concerned that there's no sun or no moon because we're going to have so much light proceeding from the throne of God and His Son seated at His right hand that it's going to illuminate the city in such a way that we will never again have to worry about day or night. He goes on to say that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, I believe, is where a lot of us is at through this season. We often end up with more questions and answers. I spoke last week about how the holiday seasons can get heavy for some. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perish though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You may not feel like praising every day that you get out of bed. Now I know we should be thankful unto God, but sometimes that thankfulness will come through tears. Sometimes that thankfulness will come through a heavy heart. Sometimes life just bears us down, and even though we are thankful, we may not always have that loud praise. We'll give Him the honor, and we'll give Him the glory, and we'll give Him 
the thanks, but sometimes praise is hard. But there's coming a day at His appearing that no matter what you have went through on this earth, that no matter what temptations you have faced, no matter what heaviness that you have carried from day to day, that at the appearing, at the appearing of Jesus Christ, that on your lips, I promise you, there is going to be praise. If you are an obedient child of God, that all of those things will drop away and all of the worries will no longer be in front of you, but all you will have is praise for the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one that is true and faithful and righteous and the beginning and the end and the author and finisher of our faith. Whom having not seen, ye love. Everyone sitting in here this morning, there's something else you could have done. There is some other decision you could have made. You could have decided to stay home. You could have decided to go somewhere else. You could have decided to go out to eat. You could have decided just to sleep in because it's your one day to sleep. But yet I believe actions speak much louder than words. You can say that you are a Christian. You can say that you love the Lord. You can say that you are a lot of things. But when your actions prove that you get out of bed early on a Sunday morning and you will walk out into the colder weather, your actions show that even though you have not physically laid eyes on Jesus Christ, that you do love Him because you want to come into His house. You want to lift your voice. You want to sing praises to His name. You want to pray to the one that you know that can intervene and the one that can provide comfort and peace. You want to give to further His kingdom. You want to fellowship with those that are of like mind. Having not seen Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, I've lost loved ones. I've seen difficult things in life. And through it all, one thing that I have found to be true is that when Jesus Christ is in the middle of it, your behavior can be different than what the world expects out of you in those situations. When you have the peace and the comfort of the Holy Ghost down in you, there will be something different about you that even when you should have great tears and great sorrow, that you will still have a joy unspeakable because you know at the end of the road is Jesus Christ. You know that at the end of the road, you will be able to bow down before the one that gave his life for you. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. You know, I read Isaiah to open up service this morning. Do you know that Isaiah looked longingly? He searched diligently for exactly what you have here today. Jeremiah searched for what you have. Ezekiel searched for what you have. Abraham, when he had Isaac laid up on an altar up on Mount Moriah, looked and he seen what you have afar off. Noah, when he was building the ark, longed for what you have today. Moses, when he was leading the people out of Egypt and leading them across the Red Sea on dry ground, when he was wandering in the desert with them for 40 years, he longed for what you have. Searching water, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify 
when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The sufferings of Christ is already past. That happened on Calvary's cross some 2,000 years ago. And as I read and understand, Peter, that after his suffering, that glory will follow. I've told y'all time and again, and I've laid it out scripturally, that we should be able to see the same things in the church today that Jesus performed when He was on the earth. And I preached just the other night with, about prayer cloths and how if Paul sent them out and evil spirits fled and people were heal, healed, we should still see the same thing in church today. In other words, all of the glory of Jesus Christ followed after His death and we should still see the same things today, the things that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of those patriarchs long to see is within your grasp and in your reach this morning. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. That's what precedes all that I just read for our opening scripture. So because of all of this that I just said, because of all of this that Peter had wrote, because of this, therefore, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. Why? Because there is an inheritance laid up in heaven that is undefiled and incorruptible waiting for you. But there is something you must do to be able to reach it. You know, a blameless Savior requires a blameless life. That's what title I put on this morning is a blameless life for a blameless Savior. And because of all of this, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Or if we put it in modern terms, it would be prepare yourself for action mentally and spiritually be prepared for what is in front of you and what you need to do to reach the end of your salvation it's a state of readiness or a state of being ready to work you see christianity is not just coming in and sitting down and hearing a one-hour sermon out of all the hours in your week and going back home and doing nothing about it and living any way that you so choose christianity is about work it's about action. But the reason they use that terminology of gird up your loins, you know, we don't wear clothes today like they did back then. You can get an indication at the live nativity next weekend, but they were generally just long flowing what we would call gowns or dresses. And men and women alike wore the same thing. But when it was time for work, if they, if they left their clothes just flowing, if they left them just hanging, then the clothes would get in the way and they couldn't work as efficiently. So they would have to gird it up about their waist. They would have to gather their clothes in and put a belt on and tie it up so that it would stay out from under their feet and so that it would stay out of their hands. In other words, they had to prepare themselves before they went in to work. Peter is saying, because of all that I've already told you, you need to be ready to live as what I have told you requires. He goes on to tell them to be sober. In today's terminology, we think of that purely in terms of wine or beer or liquor or whatever. And I really don't believe that Peter had any indication or, or uh, any intentions towards alcohol 
in this. It rather seems that it's a more of a conscience avoidance of all offense towards God. Avoiding with your mind. Thinking about what you do before you act. A sign of maturity. When we want elders in the church or when we want someone to be ordained as a bishop, you don't want a novice. Why? Because they've not had time to mature. They've not had time to grow. It's not a knock on anyone. But there are some things in life, and even in Christianity, it takes time to mature and to grow into. He's telling them to make a conscious effort to avoid offending God in any way. It's an acknowledgement, really, of the reality of God's revelation. What is God's revelation? That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That He was laid in a manger. That He grew up without sin. That He was tempted in every way that we could ever be tempted. And He never failed. That He went to a cross on Calvary's hill. And that He shed perfect innocent blood. Peter calls it as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And that He died so that that blood could be applied to the altar so that the high priest never again had to walk in and make a sacrifice for himself and someone else. But instead that we could come boldly before the throne of grace because when He died on Calvary's hill, the veil of the temple was rent in top from top to bottom. That's the reality of God's revelation. And He's saying we need to keep that in the very forefront of our mind. There's an old saying that you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe that statement to be entirely true or entirely false. That the truth, rather, is that if you are not heavenly minded, you can do no one on earth any good. If your mind is not stayed and fixed upon Jesus Christ, there is no way you can help someone else reach the end goal which we have as the completion of our salvation in the streets of heaven. We have to be heavenly minded to be any earthly good. He goes on to say that we should look towards the end, essentially. Hope to the end. Not a hope that I've covered that enough. I'm not going to go back over hope. But it is a certainty. But I like how he puts it that the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Talking about here the second coming. I've said time and again, we are being saved. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse to do anything. You need to live saved. You need to act saved. You can even say that you're saved. But the truth is, is that you're still living in a transitory place. You're still living on earth that is going to fade away. Your body has not received its inheritance yet. You are still in a corruptible and a mortal body that will one day face the grave. We're all appointed once unto death and after this the judgment. That's the truth. We are not completely saved until we are in the presence of Jesus Christ at the end of age. Why do you think that we are told consistently endure to the end and the same shall be saved? That we have to run the race that is set before us as if we are running to win. Because if you just come and you say, well, Lord, forgive me, and I believe that you're Lord, and you go and you do the same things, you never reach the end of your salvation. In other words, you are never really saved. It takes a consistent walk. 
That's that modern-day charismatic uh, hyper-grace nonsense that tells you all these other things, but the reality is, is that there is work to do. You're only saved by grace. You're only saved by the blood of Christ, but if you don't walk it out, if you don't live in the Spirit, if you don't live the life that you're supposed to live, you will never experience the salvation of Jesus Christ. Moses is a fine example. He was told to go speak to a rock and water would come forth for the children. But what did he do? He was disobedient. Like Aaron was talking about, he was disobedient. He went and he smacked it with his rod. And what happened when he was disobedient is he got to go to the mountaintop, he got to look into the promised land, but he never got to walk in it. He never found the end of his salvation because he was disobedient. Going on to verse 14. It says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Can I tell you that when you accept Christ, you need to become a new creature? Period. You cannot do it on your own. You can try to change habits all you want. But there are some things that you will never change until the power of God gets a hold of your life. Paul says that therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you walk into a group of people that you used to hang around with, they should notice something different and new about you. Your language should be different. The way you interact with them should be different. You should be almost unrecognizable except for your physical characteristics. That is what God calls for. But He calls them obedient children. Or children of obedience. Now we look at that and we think of it as being young and just doing as you're told. That's what we expect of our children, right? And if they don't do as, we're to- as they're told, just beat the brakes off of them and then they'll do it. Sometimes, right. That's not what this is talking about. That way of saying that, when you were a child of something in these times, it meant you were controlled by it. Not just that you listened to it, but that you were controlled by it. If you've ever had an addiction, it drives you. It controls you. Even though you may not want to do it, it will control you and drive you into places. If you have ever been a teenage boy... That addiction might have been girls. They will drive you to do things that you otherwise would not do. So it's not always just drugs. Sometimes it's behavior. Sometimes it's actions. In this case, he's saying we should be obedient children. In other words, obedient to God. He should drive everything that we do. It should be that voice in the back of your head when you go to do something that you did yesterday and you go to do it again today, that there is a drive inside of you that will not allow you to do it because what you've done yesterday was sinful and you have become a new creature in Christ. And it just simply drives you to a place to where it owns you. But you have to submit to it. And this obedience needs to stand in contrast to what you once were. In other words, a new creature. It should be a new pattern of actions and life. And what should that pattern be? He tells us in 15 and 16. 
As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In other words, our model of obedience is not our model at all. It's not modeled on what we done yesterday. It's not modeled on anything that man may ever tell you. But the model for our obedience to God is He Himself. The model is the holiness of God. Set apart, sanctified. We believe in a second work of grace called sanctification. We believe in salvation, we believe in sanctification, we believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to a clean heart. Sanctification cleans your heart. But more so, we need to understand, that's the the human terminology that we put on it, but if we really want to understand the holiness of God and what He has called us into and what we are supposed to be, we have to understand His nature, His character. You want to know what the character of God is? It's separated from sin and evil. You want to know what his model of perfection is? Is his perfect morals. What his holiness is, is his perfect goodness. But here's what else his holiness is. It's a dislike for evil and sin. And when they say that we need to be holy in all manner of conversation... Peter's not saying just our speech. What he's saying is that in every manner of life, we need to be separated to God. We need to be separate from the world, separated to God. And I love verse 17. And if you call on the Father, and I'm going to, you're reading in a paper Bible, and well, it's even on the screen too, you'll see the punctuation. You've got a comma after father and after work. So just leave out that middle part for a minute. If you call on the father, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. If you call on God, the time you spend on earth, spend it in fear. Now we think of fear as being terror. We think of fear of being scared to do something. But that's not a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord is an awe or a great respect for Him. Have you ever gotten the presence of someone that you were just awed by their ability, their natural ability to do something, and all you could do is just stand and watch and wonder how it ever happened? That's all. Some people go all star-eyed or crazy over celebrities or athletes and they'll get in their presence and they'll be awestruck and they'll get tongue-tied and they won't know what to say because they feel like they're in the presence of greatness. But there's none greater that we can be in the presence of other than God Himself. Other than the presence of the Holy Spirit, of Him giving us a little taste of heaven here on earth now. That is fear is that awestruck way that we get. We should be that way when we get in the presence of God. That's fear of God. It's a great or a deep respect for, or even a deep concern for. Let me just put a very pointed question to you, and don't answer and don't raise your hands. Do you have a deep concern for the things of God? 
If you fear him in a biblical fear, if you're all struck by him, if you have great respect for him, then you should also have a deep concern for the things of God. The things of God being his word, the things of God being prayer, the things of God being striving to be what he would have you to be. In other words, just as he said, your entire life should reflect a great appreciation for God. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You're able to drive to church this morning? Thank God that you still have that ability. Thank God that He give you the means to get a car to be able to drive to church. Thank Him that He give you the opportunity to be able to fill your gas tank to get it here, that you were able to do that oil change you had to do two weeks ago or is due next week. You come here from a house, give God thanks that you had a roof over your head last night and you wasn't sleeping out in freezing temperatures. You had breakfast this morning. Thank God for it that He is the God of provision and He provided you with the necessary food to be able to have energy to walk through your day. Give Him thanks for all things. Why? Because that's the greatest message that anybody is ever going to hear in this Christmas season. They can walk into a church house and the greatest preacher on earth, the one with the, the choicest words and the best pulpit presence, can preach the greatest sermon ever preached, but it will never affect people like how you live. If you tell them that you are a Christian, and you invite them to church, thank God for it, and thank God for them coming in and sitting in the pews. But the reality is, is they've probably already determined in their mind whether to accept the invite or not, and whether even to accept Christ or not, because of the way you have lived your life in their presence. And that's all God's calling us to be here. If you get right down to the root of it, He's just calling us to be decent human beings. And to act like we've got some sense and act in ways that match our words. Why? Because we've not been redeemed with corruptible things. As silver and gold. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And I think we do need to understand that there is some tradition that is very good. There's a lot of excellent tradition. The church is built on tradition, some 2,000 years of understanding that's been passed down from generation to generation from the apostles. There's some tradition that's just man-made that has no bearing on salvation at all. There's some things that are vain. So I don't want you to think we need to throw all tradition out because some of it we need to stand on. But ultimately, traditions fade away. New traditions are started. We have new traditions at Christmas that we do. You get new traditions at Thanksgiving that you do. We don't have church today like they had church 200 years ago. If you walked into a church service today that was operated exactly as it was 200 years ago, most of you would fall asleep before the preacher ever got up. I, look, I'm just being honest with you. All of that dies away. Everything dies away. 
But there's one thing that does not. And that's what God sent for us to be born of a virgin during this season. He sent us a babe in a manger that lived life that was fully man and fully God. And he ended up going to a cross and when he was on the cross he looked at the one beside him and said today you will be with me in paradise because he understood who he was. That's what God sent to us but with the precious blood of Christ. Everything I've told you this morning comes down to this. We need to act this way. We need to understand these things. We need to live holy because God is holy. But we need to do all of these things because God loved us so much that He sent the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. If you'll remember back to the Gospel of John, John the Baptist was out and he seen Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I can hear in my mind's ear that when a sinner walks into the church, I could just hear John the Baptist sitting up in heaven and saying, Jesus, there's another one that you shed your blood for. Because they've got the sin of the world in them. Jesus, here comes another one. Jesus, here comes another one. Your blood made sure that they've got away. Verse 20 tells us that he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Let us make man in our image. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. There was not anything made that was made without the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. Before the world was ever formed, Jesus was there. But do you understand in this season that He came in the flesh so that we could live? So that we could live. He could have just as easily sat in heaven and spoke. The Word. But instead He chose to came, come to earth to shed His blood so that there would be blood not on an image of an altar built on earth but on the altar in heaven that would never run dry for you, for me. So those who by Jesus do believe in God believe that God raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory. That's where you need to put your faith. That's where you need to put your hope. Some of you might question that it might be in God. Well, let me give you a little way of understanding that language. If your brakes are bad on your car, you might want to put some brakes on it. If you're about to run out of gas and there's a gas station there, you might want to stop at that gas station. It's not a possibility. It's not even talking about a probability. 
I just look at it as the way we talk. In other words, it is something that we need to fix ourselves on because that is the right and the proper thing to do. If your brakes are out on your car, you don't put brakes on it, you're going to crash. You're going to have a big bill. You might even hurt someone or yourself. Gas light's on. Gas station's there. You don't stop. You run out. It's your own fault. Well, friends, can I tell you this morning that Jesus is the only place to put your faith and hope. You're driving down the road. And you've stopped in the gas station. There's an old Southern Gospel song Kenny Henson used to sing, Soul Filling Station. You've stopped there this morning. You knew that this was the place to be. What I'm here to tell you this morning is you might want to put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. We have reason. All of those reasons that I've outlined we have. I'm going to drop down and read 1 Peter 24 and 25, and I'm going to try to wrap this up. It says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. Grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord, what I have preached to you this morning, stands forever. We know in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The standards and expectations of God never change. What he required of Moses, he requires of Steve. What he required of Abraham, he requires of Brian. We could just go right on down the list. His expectations and standards don't change. The world can change all at once, but we have to live for Christ if we expect to be in heaven. First and foremost this morning, and I don't know people's hearts. I look across and I see a church full of people that I see on a pretty regular basis. So I would think you've made that conscious decision regularly out of love but I don't know for sure maybe you have something you need to speak with the Lord about maybe there's something that's keeping you from fully submitting to Christ I don't know I would tell you this morning that you might want to put your faith in Christ for it let him take care of it in other words if you're not saved as we like to say today's the day of salvation today's the day you can start that journey of marching towards heaven. For everyone else, it never hurts. And in fact, it helps, and I think it's required that we examine ourselves. I think it's required that we give praise and thanks unto the Lord. That we pray to Him for help day to day. Give us this day our daily bread is not just the food that we're eating. Sometimes it's spiritual needs. Sometimes it's other things that we need. We need to pray to God to help us to be what He would have us to be. Because we can never attain holiness on our own. But I promise you with the help of God, 
Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we can reach it. 